Welcome to episode 10 of Granola Ho, Getting on Toxic with Linz. I'm your host, and today we're going to talk about a couple different things. So we're going to start out talking about how wildfires are now creating their own weather systems because they've become so severe. Then we're going to talk about the dreaded, quote, right-handed man who almost uh, masturbates to death. And then we're going to go back to the environment and we're going to talk about climate change feedback loops. And we're going to finish off with a story of when I hiked the West Coast Trail, which is a six-day hike. And I saw way too many people get medevaced. It was hectic. It's getting pretty fucked out here. You know what? Fucking A. So I'm going to read an article to begin from CBC News posted on July 27th, written by Hina Alam, titled, Wildfires in Canada are creating their own weather systems, experts say. (laughs) Abundant fuel, heat, and wind have caused pyrocumulonimbus firestorms that have been tracked from BC to Ontario. Bro. Pyrocumulonimbus. Okay, pyro. Like, you know, like pyromaniacs? <laughs> like the people who start fires for fun? These are pyro clouds, bro. <laughs> That's funny as fuck. Pyrocumulonimbus. You know the little video from Up? Like the, when the kid is in the window, he's like, Yup, that's cumulonimbus. <laughs> Good shit. Anyway, not funny. Not, I'm sorry, it's not funny. Inappropriate times to be joking. Mm, The firestorms. Oh, dear gosh. Frick. Frickin' LA. So, a combination of intense heat and drought conditions is causing wildfires in western Canada to generate their own weather system, experts say. Michael Fromm, a meteorologist with the United States Naval Research Laboratory based in Washington, D.C., said that the phenomenon is known as pyrocumulonimbus firestorm and has tracked this year in British Columbia, or excuse me, has been tracked in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. This is Canadian-specific news. I'm sorry, people, but it affects everyone, so fucking pay attention. Pay attention. Scientists have been tracking the storm since May. The first one seen this season from Manitoba. Ooh. The village of Linton, which we talked about. Remember the one that got evacuated? Village of Linton. Linton. Whatever the fuck. I don't really give a shit. I'm sorry. In BC, saw firestorms on two successive days in late June. And it was probably the single largest pyrocumulonimbus storm of the year so far, he added. From. The dude from fuck's his name from from nope it's a two m sorry i'm tripping i'm tripping uh anyway i'm gonna skip ahead this is boring (laughs) oh there's a picture of damaged buildings that were all burned down that sucks rip so quote unquote the perfect fire storm conditions in bc an abundance of fuel heat and wind create perfect conditions for the firestorms Lytton hit a Canadian temperature record of 49.6 degrees Celsius the day before a wildfire erupted there on June 30th, destroying much of the community. 
when you get all these three things together, you get the perfect triple that we call fire weather, Fromm said. So hot, dry, and windy. Now, Simon Donaire, <laughs> a climate scientist. Now I'm hungry, fuck. Sorry, a climate scientist from Vancouver's University of British Columbia's geography department said the storms also generate lightning that causes more fires, which is what we were talking about. Uh, do you remember that when we were reading about this and I told you about the guy who was like, happy Canada Day, and then just panned his camera around and saw like five light, five fucking individual fires all spread across the landscape and those were all from lightning. I'm pretty certain. Maybe not all of them, but most of them. Like, there's videos of this firestorm lightning fucking causing more fires. It's like a feedback loop. Oh, fuck. We have to talk about feedback loops today now. Yeah. We gotta talk about feedback loops. Environmental, like, like uh, earth systems. Yeah, we'll get to that. Damn. You lost the game, bitch! We're thinking about the apocalypse and the end of the environment. No, look at us. Look at us together. Bonding over our eco-anxiety and eco-grief. <laughs> bonding. Just simply bonding over the end of the world. It's fine. It's fine. That runaway feedback is a dangerous part, says Simon Donor. Donair. Donor. Fuck. Jeez. So, oh, freak me up now there's a bunch of numbers about how much of british columbia in particular is on fire right now because this is bc specific news i apologize um but apparently emergency management bc said 250 active wildfires were burning in this province of british columbia alone as of tuesday and since fire season began april 1st 4,176 square kilometers of land in British Columbia alone, never mind every other natural disaster and wildfire that's going on in the world in Canada right now, has been charred from the 100 and 226 wild... What the fuck? 1,226 wildfires that had started as of Sunday night. That's a lot of, that's a, hey, that's a lot of wildfires. What the fuck? I just got anxious. Okay, breathing exercises, let's go. (sighs) Holy fuck, man. There was like 61 evacuation orders in effect at a given time. There was 85 alerts for evacuation. That's pretty fucked. So let's talk about how the firestorm began. Fromm said a pyrocumulonimbus storm usually begins with a smothering, excuse me, smoldering fire. I see Freudian slip because smothering, do you know what I'm saying? Like I'm already like, the anxiety of this is smothering me. (laughs) And I read smoldering as smothering. Sorry, Freud was right. I'm sorry you can't, you can't change my mind. Freud was right about a lot of things. Oh, we have some other things to talk about one day. Okay. Focus, Lindsay. Focus. So, begins with a smoldering fire which feeds on the surrounding air, turning active and creating a thermal bubble. That creates a convection column that generates more energy and turns the fire hotter and larger, he said. And so, for those of you who need a little refresher on 
that old high school science. I don't know actually when it's taught, but you know, remember convection, heat convection, you know how like heat rises, cools, and then falls again. And in turn that creates a like convection is then the circular like consistent motion of air rising and falling and changing temperatures and and um perhaps releasing water vapor as it condenses and rises right rain um things like that so this heat bubble the thermal bubble excuse me creates a pretty intense convection column the column by the way so if you, let's picture you'd have two arrows going up, okay? Two, two, let's say two red arrows of hot air. The air is he, really fucking hot from the fire, right? So you have two, picture a graph. I'm, I'm painting a picture of a graph for you right now, bitch. I should be a teacher. <sighs> two arrows. You have two arrows pointing straight up and they're probably like, let's put them like a little bit farther apart from each other. They're not directly side by side, but they're close, right? Going straight up into the atmosphere. And then as it gets to the top, you know, both of those arrows would peel outwards from one another. They would not go inward. So, in this case, I'm assuming. You know what? <laughs> I just had a moment where I was like, imagine if me spewing this is act like imagine if I have like a false memory of science and I'm actually just telling you the wrong thing. <laughs> I just sorry. I my intrusive thoughts made me glitch for a second. Okay, I'm sticking to my guns here. So, <laughs> so fucked. Welcome, welcome to the ride. Welcome to the scattered brain that is mine. Okay, so those two arrows are then going to go outwards and then they're going to start turning blue as they cool in that upper atmosphere where the temperatures are a lot colder. And then those arrows are both going to drop down on the outside and go down to the earth again and then reheat and then rise again, right? And so the column refers to um, pretty much like the center of that. Okay, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, so you can picture now the column going upwards of the two arrows, pulling hot air upwards. And, and, and by the way, that convection, that movement of air will also, you know, like, probably spread the fire a lot more, unfortunately. You, you know, you, you, you know what I'm saying? You can picture it. It's pretty fucked. Feedback loops. Oh my gosh, I can't, honestly, this is important. I can't wait to talk about these feedback loops with you. But also, you lost the game, sorry. <laughs> okay. So, back to what Fromm was saying. So, the big, large fire just makes it that much easier for the air to be completely upset. Meaning, and I'm going to interject when he says upset. It, like, disturbed, um, perturbed, perhaps would be a good word. Like, uh, stirred up, right? Like, the air has been churned more, right? And going back to what he says. And then, if you do form a cloud, then that generates even more buoyancy... And that feeds back down to the earth. Buoyancy of the cloud, I think. As the cloud goes bubbling into the air, it can create lightning, Fromm says. Huh. Huh. Wild. The storms last anywhere between two and five hours, occur in the late afternoon, and end when the air turns cooler or it runs into a fire. A fire break. A fire break. Ooh. When you look at it, you know, say from space as we do, you can actually see several bubbles of clouds form and flatten out up on the upper atmosphere. So they form and then flatten as they reach the upper atmosphere. 
Um, because again, I'll remind you, as the heat is, uh, excuse me, as the air is rising and losing heat, um, and condenses, like, that's when you have cloud formation and possible precipitation, you know, like, when, when the air reaches pretty much, like, a point of peak saturation of water vapor, then it would, it would start releasing it, but there's different, depending on the temperature and the elevation depends on the amount of water vapor that the air could hold and store as well as the temperature right so just right pretty much what they're they're just really saying that the normal weather systems are completely perturbed by this wildfire and it's a snowball effect once you have one thing in the system that is being affected it affects a chain reaction event occurs where you're gonna see it, it like it's gonna make it worse right like it starts feeding into itself and then the byproducts of all of that hot air rising just creates a shit ton of other environmental influences that are only going to aggravate the whole system even more so it's like self it's like a, a self-propelled machine <laughs> you know what i'm saying you know what i'm like you know a feedback loop get it whatever i'll explain this better later let's let's carry on Dude, I, re- <laughs> uh, I hope this is making sense to people. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm trying not to use, I don't know. I'm trying to not just read straight off the article. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to like completely copyright these motherfuckers. So you, know, I got to throw in some dumb shit in the middle to try and make it more entertaining for you guys, but also to make it more, make more sense and make sure that the message is uh, clear. I suppose, just to really drive home the point. So bear with me, but I've told you this from the start. Buckle the fuck up, because here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so as we were saying, they will form in bubbles of clouds and, and flatten up in the a- upper atmosphere. Then they blow off, and then you see another bubble coming up, like several chimney bursts in the life of that individual pyrocumulonimbus. So, on the ground, what that means is that the fire is pulsing, like pulsating in a way that during these two to five hours is very dramatic and a dangerous event. Well, that's pretty fucked up, mate. That's kind of cool, though, huh? I don't know why that's kind of cool. And, you know, since, since I do this news segment at the beginning, you know, I'm, I can't just talk about... CBC News and the wildfires, you know what I'm saying? Like, I have to throw in some counter views, right? We need to, we need to dabble in some perhaps um, more right-leaning news outlets that would just choose different topics of conversation to prioritize in their daily news posts. So I just figured I would hop over to Fox News <laughs> and read you one of the best article titles i've ever fucking seen to be honest in the past year fox news published (laughs) i can't even fucking read this with a straight face published july 23rd 2021 written by ben cost new york post but this is i'm reading it from fox fox news titled right-handed man almost masturbates to death 
a medical case study. <laughs> Sounds like it could be like a fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like it had the, it was like a proper like article, like a research article titled, you know what I'm saying? Like there was, they, they gave us both parts, right? <laughs> They're going all in. Right-handed man almost masturbates to death. A medical case study. I love it. I love it. Sex or self-sex has been found to be... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm actually sorry to this guy. I'm being disrespect- disrespectful because listen how listen to this. He actually literally almost died. Sex or self-sex has been found to be the immediate preceding activity before a ruptured aneurysm in 14% of patients. To reiterate, to reiterate for you all, for louder for those of you in the back, 14%, I'm, this is what I'm perceiving from this, 14% of patients who have ruptured aneurysms, 14% are preceded by sex or masturbation. That's a lot, like that's kind of a, I feel like a lot of people to induce aneurysms via sex or masturbation but i'm here for it there's a nearly three minute long video like a youtube video attached to this article if you're interested in learning more and maybe seeing some visuals to go along with it i encourage you to look it up this fellow redefined mind-blowing sex (laughs) in parentheses dude ben ben cost who the fuck are you I wish I wish news reporters had to put a picture of themselves beside their articles just because I was like, you can't even hide behind Fox News right now. Tell me who you are, who had the audacity to fucking have your opening line, the opening sentence. This is his hook. This is, I, I see I three, see through your technique, sir. His hook to catch everyone's attention has to be as fucking audacity like the audacity you know what i'm saying it has to catch people off guard shock value is of value for a reason do you know what i'm saying okay this fellow redefined quote-unquote mind-blowing sex because he had an aneurysm get it he had a ruptured aneurysm (laughs) after he suffered a life-threatening stroke while repeatedly masturbating now medical experts are saying he's lucky he escaped the ultimate unhappy ending Oh my fuck. You know like the massage parlors that promise you a happy ending? This motherfucker just said medical experts. As if medical experts are saying this. We know you're paraphrasing, Ben. Ben Cost. Own it. You're paraphrasing. No medical expert is here saying this. You ready? Medical experts are saying he's lucky he escaped the ultimate unhappy ending. Like, they're not just standing there making puns after one of their patients nearly fucking died. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, that's all you, Ben. That's all you, Ben. Take the credit. Take credit where credit's due. Come on. The unnamed 51-year-old right-handed man. This poor guy is labeled for the rest of his life as the right-handed man. No! From Japan. Oh... I've heard marriage rates are really low there these days. This is really, really proven. This is speaking to it. Okay. I heard so many people. Hey, I'm, um, this is by word of mouth and definitely a blanket statement. Don't fucking chastise me for this. 
But word on the block is that in Japan, pretty much like the rate of heterosexual coupling and marriage is very, very low because so many women especially are very focused on their professional careers now. And you know what I'm saying? Like both, I mean both people, both genders or all the genders, fuck you. Don't try and cancel me for this shit. Don't give a fuck. (laughs) I do give a fuck though. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm sorry we're off track. We're off track here. I'm gonna try, I'm, listen, this poor guy, listen, listen, people aren't fucking, I don't think, like, in Japan, I don't think people in Japan are fucking, like, not like they should be, like, this man masturbated nearly to death. Are you good, sir? Like, if you're lonely, just say that, you know? Like they're you like I've heard they make very realistic sex dolls these days. <laughs> Sorry, so disrespectful. Okay. So this poor labeled man, the un, <laughs> the unnamed. So they're naming him the right-handed man. Okay, from Japan, admittedly enjoyed pleasuring himself several times a day, according to the new case study published in the Medical Journal of Stroke and <laughs> Cerebrovascular Disease. <laughs> However, one explosive self-love session went awry when, after climaxing, the s- Oh no! Fuck you, Ben Cost! He really wrote the serial stroker. Oh! Try and be more- come, Like, no shame from Ben Cost. Okay, let me reread this because that caught me off guard. Oh no, he also says thunderclap. Oh! <laughs> However, one explosive self-love session went awry when after climaxing, the serial stroker was struck down by thunderclap headaches and severe vomiting. My bad, I thought he meant clap them cheeks. (laughs) Thunderclap headaches, maybe that's a proper actually definition to describe the headaches preceding a stroke. Who knows? unnerved by the unsexy symptoms oh my fuck you he was in a medical crisis how are you gonna sit there and say the unsexy symptoms as if symptoms of a stroke would ever be sexy (laughs) what sorry unnerved by the unsexy symptoms the man rushed himself to uh, um nagoya city university hospital where he was found to have a low blood pressure and confusion two telltale signs of cerebrovascular accident according to the medical case study emergency medical technicians suspected he had a stroke while stroking fuck fuck this is getting to be too much emergency medical technicians suspected he had a stroke while stroking and a subsequent subsequent ct scan confirmed that the man had indeed suffered a (laughs) hemorrhage i just can't i'm sorry stroke while stroking well, whatever. For any of you medical geeks out there, to be specific, he had a subarachnoid hemorrhage, SAH, a potentially fatal type of stroke sparked by a ruptured blood vessel in the space surrounding the brain. Prior case studies have reported that sex, including <laughs> the autoerotic variety, was the immediate preceding activity before a ruptured aneurysm in 14% of patients, according to a clinical neuropsychologist, Dr. Amy Bard, author of Sex in the Brain, How Your Brain Controls Your Sex Life, posted by Columbia University Press in 2020. 
their risk of death by sex-induced stroke can be compounded by taking cocaine or Viagra before the act. Oh, no. Oh, no. She just called this right-handed man the fuck out. Dude. How does it feel to have a clinical neuropsychologist with a, a, a major article posted say publicly in a news article that you evidently were either popping Viagra all day by yourself or snorting cocaine by yourself all day. Like, she's pretty much implying that there's no way this man has the vitality to just masturbate daily all the time, all the time, every day, without fucking Coke or or Viagra. Shade! Shade from Dr. Amy Baird. How do you fucking pronounce B A I R D. Baird? Bird? Bird? Don't give a fuck. Anyways, that's funny as hell to me. The man survived his near fatal orgasm ordeal. Oh, Ben Cost, you just don't stop, do you? Oh, the, guys, my friends, my granola hose, this is pre- precisely why I do not read these fucking articles in advance. Because I I need you. I need you to experience the shock that I experience, right? I can't go through this alone. I'm sorry, I can't sit here reading shit like the stroke because of stroking and the fucking, fucking orgasm ordeal. Like, dude, s- switch up your literary techniques. I don't know. Like... What are you doing? I don't know, but I'm, I'm kind of here for it. Don't tell. But I'm here for it. But don't tell. So the man survived his near-fatal orgasm ordeal and was released from the hospital within two weeks in excellent condition, according to doctors. But you know what Dr. Amy would say? He was in excellent condition and ready to go right back to popping Viagra or snorting, snorting fucking nose beers so that he can continue to masturbate all day, every day, and be lonely, right-handed man. That's what Amy would say. Dr. Amy... Because she doesn't give a fuck either. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. I think that that's really funny. Well, so Dr. Amy continues and she says, However, he should thank his lucky stars he didn't achieve the exact opposite of a happy ending. As a ruptured brain aneurysm causes... Oh shit, Ben Cost, I'm so sorry, dude. You're right. This medical professional literally did say the opposite of a a happy ending, therefore implying an unhappy ending. I'm sorry I came for you like that. I'm Doctor, I didn't know how much of a fucking heinous savage fucking Dr. Baird would be, so I I, I apologize. I didn't... Damn, like, she doesn't give a fuck, huh? Meanwhile... Did I finish that sentence even? Okay, whatever. Achieved the exact opposite of a happy ending as a ruptured brain aneurysm causes death in 40% cases. So, overall, of all brain aneurysms, 40% of brain aneurysms result in death. But of all of the brain aneurysms, 14% of them were induced by sex... (laughs) sex or or self-sex which is really funny to me because you're literally apparently apparently who know i mean i guess we knew sex was a risk of death but 
keep watch out stay safe out there kids careful you don't get don't you don't blow your brain up from fucking careful you know maybe that should be included in safe sex like i don't know like mandatory fuck next person i'm hooking up with you gotta get a ct scan i don't want any part of this fucking sex induced aneurysm shit get your vessels checked okay bud (laughs) i'm just kidding i'm just kidding you know that would be way too expensive and in um, Canada you would probably have to wait on the wait list for like two years to get a CT scan anyways and nobody has that kind of time Mm -hmm. this isn't the first time someone has suffered a vascular mishap during a (laughs) sorry a vascular mishap as if an aneurysm as if a full full ass aneurysm that almost has a 50% death rate almost it's 40 to just call a vascular mishap like oop <laughs> like oops i dropped my my banana like no it's you almost died it's not a, it, why are we so, why are we so nonchalant or whatever who cares it was not the first vascular mishap during an act of self-gratification in 2016 a bronx hospital worker allegedly died of a heart attack while masturbating to porn at work <laughs> according to police sources this motherfucker died as as a hospital employee died in a hospital watching porn and masturbating. How fucked. Dude, that's not how you want your body found. You know, like, if I go, like, I... This has always been another anxiety of mine, to be honest. Um, I was, like, always scared I would end up dying in some fucking humil... Like, humilify... Like, what the fuck? I was about to say humilifying. Because I was going to say terrifying, pitiful, and humiliating all at once. And it didn't work. I've always been, I was like, dude, if you, if anyone finds my body before the authorities, can you just, like, try and, like, like, if I'm, like, naked, cover me up a little bit, and, like, maybe, like, you know, if I look busted as fuck, like, just, like, just, like, help a girl out, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be this guy slumped over a porn video that's still playing with my dick in my Next, I'm gonna talk a little bit more, maybe I'll give some background, actually, a little bit about the concept of, um, climate change the driving factors in climate change, what it's affecting, and then ultimately we'll talk about the feedback loops. I'll keep it brief um, for the setup, and we'll focus on the feedback loops because those are relevant and really fascinating. And then we're going to dive into some silly stories of mine, (laughs) reminiscing on adventures I've had in nature, um funny stories about people fucking having to get medevaced all the time (laughs) from nature you know we just gotta reminisce on the good times because i don't know nature might not always look like how it does in my memories which is a really scary thought so to begin i'm gonna start from the climate reality project.org I'm reading an article that was written January 7th of 2020 titled How Feedback Loops Are Making the Climate Crisis Worse. So they begin also by just giving a quick rundown of the background or the driving forces of climate change just for any of any of you who may not be familiar with these concepts or <laughs> heaven forbid I have a climate denier listening 
Although I doubt that they've made it this far. But hey, do you know what? If you have the opposing views to me, I'm telling you, get in touch with me. Message me on Instagram, at Lindsay Pettis, all lowercase, no spaces, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-P-E-T-T-I-S. Honestly, like, if you are skeptical, if you are a climate skeptic, or or anything else I've ever talked about on this podcast, or ever will talk about on this podcast, I invite opposing viewpoints so we could have constructive intellectual debates, conversations, exchanges of information. Because honestly, I think that would be a really big strength. In the midst of all the polarization of our politics, I think a little bipartisan action would be kind of sexy. I think it would get the people going. So, if you want to understand how our climate uh, will change in the coming decades, ah! If you want to understand how our climate will change in the coming decades, you've got to understand feedback loops, they say on the Climate Reality Project. So essentially, I'm going to I'm going to take it back. Some people would say that this all began when when we created agriculture. Some say this really began to take off. When I say this, I mean anthropogenic climate change really skyrocketed after the industrial revolution when we began using fossil fuels and burning things like I guess it started with coal, steam-powered engines, right? And then we began burning a lot of greenhouse gases. Greenhouse gases include molecules like carbon dioxide, methane, there's a lot of them. Um, Even water vapor acts as a greenhouse gas, right? So when we produce, or excuse me, when we burn fossil fuels, uh, we produce electricity, heat, and more, and they emit greenhouse gases. And these greenhouse gases that rest in our atmosphere trap the sun's energy like the sun's heat right so so we have solar energy solar radiation coming in to our atmosphere and some of it is absorbed into the earth and then the earth heats up and irradiate like irradiates heat like the infrared radiation coming up from the earth which ideally a lot of it would escape out out of our atmosphere and dissipate back into space um some of the some of the solar radiation incoming is reflected immediately back into space without it being absorbed by the earth and then re-emitted as infrared radiation. But I'm going to teach you the term now because we're going to bring it up again later. It's called the albedo effect. Albedo effect. And different surfaces on earth have different, um, pretty essentially would reflect solar radiation to different degrees. For instance, ice as i'm sure you could imagine has a very high albedo meaning that white bright white sheets of ice reflects the most solar radiation and then thus like you know would allow for the least amount of heating of the earth and the least infrared uh, radiation released back into the atmosphere now the greenhouse gases that we have been consistently emitting that have been staying in our atmosphere actually end up trapping infrared um heat in our atmosphere like they absorb a lot of it and actually then would cause the temperature to rise more than it would have naturally if the the regular amount of heat could have been escaping from our atmosphere but we're it's like you know like the greenhouse right think of it if you 
um, just had your plants <laughs> planted outside, nothing is trapping heat anything more than the regular atmosphere around it, right? So, so that's why you can't really grow, you can't grow tropical plants in the north because we just don't have that kind of heat. But if you built a greenhouse, which would then be a barrier from which a lot of heat could not escape, therefore trapping the heat and increasing the localized temperature, then you could end up growing tropical plants in your greenhouse, right? But in the case of a greenhouse, it's intentional and it serves a very purpose, a very important isolated purpose. <clears throat> the fact that we are turning our entire atmosphere into a big greenhouse? Bitch, I don't like heat like that. I am fucking Icelandic. Like, take me back to the north. Fuck this. I, I am petrified of the day in my future when I, like, have to be grumpy every single day because it's just that hot all the time. Like, right now, it's mostly just that heat wave that really took me out. Or if I go traveling and then it's self-inflicted exposure to heat, so, I, you know, we suffer through that one. Happily, very happily, privilege. But, dude, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who is like, I'm going to go chill in my greenhouse all day every day. Because no, you're not going to like go sit (laughs) in a hot ass humid greenhouse and be like, yeah, this is fine. Everything's fine. Like, no, you're like, this is nice to visit for a short amount of time. Now I want to leave. Bitch, we can't leave unless you're fucking Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and you can afford to take fucking 15 minute rips up into space while the rest of the world perishes beneath them and they don't give fuck. You hear what I'm saying though? Like, I I don't want to be stuck here, bitch. I don't want to live in a mass greenhouse, but we are emitting so many greenhouse gases that are continuing to increase the amount of heat that's trapped in our atmosphere and that is we're gonna get into some feedback loops Ooh, i'm just uh, bear with me okay everything is gonna tie in together for some of you this may be a lot of new terms for some of you you might be like hurry up Lindsay. what are we in elementary school this is this is a podcast for the people come on we're not gonna exclude those who have not participated in the elitist academia with jargon we're not gonna do that we're gonna take it we're gonna chill it out everyone go smoke a j chill out just sit in the utter distress (laughs) that is losing the game when you think about the catastrophe the environmental climate catastrophes you know rip so, as I said, greenhouse grasses, grasses, greenhouse gases trap the sun's energy in the Earth's atmosphere as heat. Um, <laughs> as more and more greenhouse gases are released, more heat gets trapped and the planet warms up, disrupting the long-standing, delicate climate systems that have made up life on Earth. In a previous episode, when we talked about the Anthropocene, I think that was the snakes are coming out of the grass episode and I mentioned the reason we're we're trying to rename it as the Anthropocene and suggesting that the Holocene is over is because the stable climatic cycles and systems that were so reliable and consistent throughout the Holocene that allowed for our life here on earth to blossom that allowed for us 
to get ahead because there were less extreme weather events happening during the Holocene that would demolish crops and, you know, it was a very cushy time to live for humans. Like, obviously, don't get me wrong, a lot of shit was going down. We're not talking... If you look, zoom in. (laughs) Don't zoom in. If you don't zoom in, it was a cushy time for humans climatically speaking no obviously not it was not cushy there was a lot of other horrible things that were ongoing that are still ongoing but at least at that time it was not extreme perturbations in climate and weather systems that was going to be their ultimate demise (laughs) am i getting too dark sorry sorry (laughs) i'll chill i'm chill i'm chill i'm chill anyways The point is, to reiterate, we are shamelessly, recklessly, and showing no signs of stopping, disrupting the long-standing, delicate climate systems that have made up the possibility of us having this life that we have on Earth, right? (laughs) Like, I made a painting. Listen to this. I'm actually, this is going to be on merch one day. I made a painting, and I entitled it Perturbations in the fossil fuel economy or perturbation in perspective of the fossil fuel economy and essentially it's like a, a a woman a naked woman's body and her head is the earth in space and she's holding a gun to her head and shooting herself in the head and like oil black oil is spilling out the side because quite frankly what we're doing with capitalism in the fossil fuel economy is uh committing mass murder suicide essentially like to like no cap the sixth mass extinction and we're like fucking up our own comfortable holocene like earth systems like we are shooting ourselves in the head and not we show we're not no one's pumping the brakes all gas no brakes (laughs) you know in fact today i literally saw a video on tiktok where this guy was like i received a letter and i'm told i'm I'm, like he works for some company he's like i'm gonna get a fine if i don't do this but essentially they're trying to keep the prices of oil expensive and not letting it drop and for that reason they have to dump mass amounts of oil literally not productively anywhere like just dumping it like there's videos of this guy dumping it on service roads on logging roads like truckfuls just dumping it out as they drive so that they can maintain a high price so that there's not as like you know what i'm saying it's like supply demand kind of situation how fucked up no breaks anyways i'll carry on back to the climate reality project the stronger storms and longer droughts we see becoming a dangerous new normal are a direct result oof but How these impacts play off each other is far more nuanced. In many cases, the wildfires or disappearing glaciers we see in the headlines have unseen knock-on effects that lead to, well, more wildfires and disappearing glaciers. Feedback loops! And not the ones you want! There's two types. There's positive and negative feedback loops, which we'll, we'll talk about. Ooh, I almost went off about the glaciers, but I have to wait. Just know... The, I'll give you, I'm going to foreshadow something for you, if you didn't know. The albedo effect that we talked about, the albedo effect is part of the positive feedback loop. And ironically, when I say positive, it's actually the bad one. The negative ones are what help stabilize and maintain. Fuck, we're good, I'm getting ahead of myself. Just know that it's backwards. Backwards day, just like everything else in our world, right? Okay. So just know that when we come back to the glaciers and the ice caps melting it has to also the albedo effect has part of that um, feedback loop 
Um, so they say, think of it like dominoes lined up in an infinite spiral. Once one domino falls, it creates a reaction that pushes over another and then another right down the line. Scientists call this process a feedback loop, and it's got profound consequences for the planet. Okay, so here it is. What is a feedback loop? They say, climate feedback loops are processes that can either amplify or diminish the effects of climate forcings quote-unquote forcings. Here are the initial drivers of our climate, things like solar irradiance, greenhouse gas emissions, airborne particles like dust, smoke, soot that come from both human and natural sources and impact our climate. By the way, previously I had explained a little bit about greenhouse gases uh, and how they have a warming effect on our atmosphere. Particles in the air like dust and smoke and soot also have a similar effect of trapping heat um, and increasing, like causing a warming effect in the atmosphere. And I'm going to foreshadow again, I'm sure you can imagine already, wildfires, dust and smoke in the atmosphere from wildfires, connected. Foreshadowing the feedback loops. We'll, We'll elaborate soon, bear with me. So back to the story. In plain English, feedback loops make the uh, excuse me. Bloop. In plain English, feedback loops make the impacts of key climate factors stronger or weaker, starting a cyclical chain reaction that repeats again and again. Ooh. So as I said, I'm just going to remind you there are two kinds of feedback loops here, positive and negative. Ironically, the negative feedback loops actually have that diminishing effect that we talked about uh perhaps you could say decreasing in function or reducing if you could think i'm gonna go off again here if you've heard the word homeostasis often used to describe human biology or animal biology um cellular you know what i'm saying like uh like we have homeostasis in our body think of the blood ph has to remain at homeostasis or like our temperature our body body temperature needs to remain in homeostasis to allow us to function properly and let's say we get sick and we start to dip above or below what the ideal level of functioning would be for homeostasis Our body has systems in place that would help to counteract those effects and bring us back to homeostasis, right? Think of our our immune system is one such example where it exists to keep our body healthy, right? The white blood cells would fight against any kind of invading virus or bacteria, foreign viruses and bacteria, And it would help counteract that and then bring our body back to homeostasis where it's safe and comfortable. Or how things buffer the pH in our blood to maintain that, right? It's pretty cool. So the same kinds of homeostasis (laughs) and feedback loops need to exist on a larger scale as well in the environment, in the climate. Because as we know things are very particular, right? There are certain things that are required for chemical processes to occur, for cellular respiration, for fucking plant respiration. 
all these things need to be in alignment for shit to work. And it's in (laughs) our best interest that things stay the way they are in homeostasis because, for instance, the Holocene, the period where um, there was the most stability, you could suggest that that maybe would have been a period of time when homeostasis was well-maintained. However, climate, anthropogenic climate change is throwing a wrench into what once was stabilizing feedback loops. So the negative feedback loops that exist to try and maintain homeostasis, um, we are fucking them up, <laughs> essentially. We are pushing Earth systems to a point where now the, a lot of feedback loops are having an amplifying effect they are causing an accelerated rate of change. And there, there's a tipping point. There's something called the tipping point in Earth systems where after which the system will shift to a new and possibly irreversible state. Think of ice ages for a period of time. That became the new system, the new state. And then it cycles back. But the point is, there is a point after which we won't be able to, to break these positive feedback loops. The, the amplifying feedback loops are like a juggernaut, self-propelled. They are even... See, this is the thing, right? Despite the fact that we continue to burn fossil fuels and emit greenhouse gases and have massive amounts of monocrops in agriculture or large fucking livestock (laughs) fucking things like just fuck so much fucking shit that we do contributes to this and we're not showing any signs of stopping and even if we completely halted the emission of all greenhouse gases or any kind of influence that is affecting earth systems The thing is, those feedback loops are kind of already doing their thing, and there's a possibility that by the time we finally do wake up and make enough changes, we will have already passed the tipping point. And I am not trying to say these things as a pessimistic kind of thing. I'm trying to say these things as in, get our fucking asses in gear. We need to start honestly using our power of the masses. (laughs) I sound like a Marxist again. I'm not trying to... I'm like... I don't know. I don't have the answer. I wish I could give like a... A straight clear cut answer and solution to this problem. But the thing is there are so many confounding variables. So many factors that are influencing decision making. That are influencing and preventing positive or negative change from occurring. Right? Like... My point is, we don't have as much time as we think because of these feedback loops. And that's why they're so important to take into consideration when looking, when, can't talk, when looking at climate data and the science of it all, right? Because some people might suggest like, oh, we got time, right? We got time, we got time. But they may not be taking into account that amplifying feedback loops are already well on their way to surpassing the tipping point and we would actually have to be sequestering more greenhouse gases more carbon 
out of the atmosphere, removing, we'd have to be scrubbing more greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere than we are producing. We would have to have net negative emissions. Right now, we're still very far in the positives, right? We are emitting so many greenhouse gases every single day and definitely not even breaking breaking even. We need to be in the negatives. We need to be removing more from the atmosphere than we are emitting. If we had a if we really hope to try and maintain climate systems in their stable Holocene-like state that has been so comfortable and conducive to growth of human population and survival. You know? So back to the back to the article by Climate Reality Project. As I we we brought up um the negative feedback loops, which are the ones that decrease a function. Uh, act to stabilize the system, have a diminishing effect, okay? And as we said, the positive feedback loops have accelerate, like accelerate the response, amplify it. So we're going to use the water vapor as an example here in the Climate Reality Project article. And they break it down like this. Like I said, water vapor, by the way, I know it doesn't make sense. Well, I remember the first time I learned that I was like, really dude, water vapor's fucking us up too. But like, it, yeah, the science, the science is there, but it makes sense. Trust. <laughs> so here we go. It goes a little something like this. As more and more heat trapping greenhouse gases are emitted, the atmosphere warms up. The warmer air leads to more water evaporating from our oceans, rivers, lakes, and land and entering the atmosphere right because we talked about convection right so like the hot like the hotter the air it likely will cause more evapotranspiration <laughs> water being evaporated from any form of thing that holds water right okay so now we have more water vapor entering the atmosphere which causes more heat to be trapped right and the warmer it gets the more evaporation happens and the warmer air also holds more water. It holds more water vapor and the water vapor itself traps heat. So like I was saying earlier, like like the different temperatures of air have a different capacity to hold water. And like the warmer air, when it's... So think of it, if you have hot air, air heating up on the earth's surface. It heats up, and as it heats up, it rises, and as it rises and heats, it likely causes water to evaporate, evapotranspiration from plants, or evaporation from bodies of water, from the earth. Um, And so as it rises, right, like, the warm air can hold a lot of water, so it's going to have all of that evaporated water held in it, and it's not going to be releasing it yet. It's when that starts to rise, when the air rises up into the atmosphere, up in elevation, and begins to cool, and as the temperature of the water lowers, its capacity to hold water vapor decreases, therefore releasing some of the water vapor. Now, the water vapor itself traps heat. So the extra water vapor in the already warmer air, retains even more heat, amplifying the initial warming. So even more warming leads to even more water evaporating, starting the cycle over and over and over again. 
Does that make sense? So I'll, let me repeat that again. For the, for the people in the back. So you have humans emitting greenhouse gases. Anthropogenic climate change, right? So we are increasing how much heat is retained in the atmosphere by producing greenhouse gases. Now, like I said, let's pretend. Let's just pretend we put all emission of greenhouse gases on pause. Let's say tomorrow we didn't emit even a single fucking greenhouse gas. (laughs) Not even a single ppm. (laughs) That's the unit for greenhouse gases. Let's just say, right? Let's say humans disappeared and we did not emit even a single other greenhouse gas. But the greenhouse gases that have already been emitted into the atmosphere are causing a warming effect. They're trapping infrared heat coming from the earth and keeping it in our atmosphere. The warming air causes more evaporation and water vapor is a greenhouse gas. So it has the same effect of trapping heat. So the warmer the air gets, the more water evaporates, the more water vapor, aka the more greenhouse gases are emitted into the atmosphere, causing even more of a warming effect, even more of a warming effect, causing even more water to evaporate, causing even more greenhouse gas to exist in the atmosphere, trapping heat, and so on and so on and so on. That would be an amplifying feedback loop where now... It is a self-propelled <laughs> system of warming. It's scary, right? Scary as fuck, right? It's a vicious cycle, they say. Climate change causing a cascade of effects that results in even more climate change. A problem we created taking on a life of its own, a potentially devastating effect, they say. Without the regulating action of a negative feedback loop, a positive loop can eventually spiral out of control, creating changes in the climate system we cannot ever undo. And this is called the tipping point. Thank you. Thank you. So according to the NOAA, which is the... uh, Who the fuck are they? I forget. Let me Google it. Hold on. Who's the NOAA? I'm blanking. NOAA. Gotta let the... Oh, it's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Okay. So they're pretty much like an Earth and Ocean Sciences Research Association. I just had to clarify because we we can't be coming out here uneducated. You know what I'm saying? Uninformed. So according to the National Oceans and Atmospheric Association... The accelerating effects of positive feedback loops can be a risk to irreversible tipping points, which are changes to the climate that are not steady and predictable. Basically, tipping points are small changes within the climate system that can change a fairly stable system to a different state. Mm. So... They say, while we aren't quite to a tipping point just yet, many facets of our climate system are already acting as a part of a dangerous positive feedback loop, creating compounding climate conditions and worsening impacts for all over the world. Oh my goodness. Then now, see, here's the thing. 
I hope you buckled up because I can't just stop. I can't stop there. Now you know I need to tell you about a lot of different types of feedback loops. So we talked about water vapor as a feedback loop. Now we're going to talk about some of the feedback loops happening in the Arctic. And then we'll keep going on. There's a bunch. There's too many. There's too many. We'll talk about what's happening in the Arctic. We'll talk about wildfires. We'll talk about the ocean. We'll talk about it all. There's a lot. Oh my gosh. I'll also maybe tell you an analogy. Have you ever heard the bathtub analogy for climate change? You can Google it. If you if you want a if you're a visual learner and the concept of how greenhouse gases are being emitted at way too high of a rate and now it's overflowing, Google on YouTube like a bathtub climate change analogy video and they will break it down for you very well with a good visual. I encourage you. Take initiative. So first I'm gonna talk about two types of feedback loops occurring at the polar ends of the earth okay so the first one i'll say has to do with the albedo effect that we talked about so like i said different surfaces on earth have different uh, albedos as i said ice has a pretty high albedo because look think of you know like you ever gone out on snow or ice and you're like i'm blinded you need sunglasses and a shit ton of fucking sunscreen in the, i mean if you're pasty like some of us i mean everyone should wear sunscreen what am i saying wear your sunscreen <laughs> so now let's think about how all of the ice caps were actually originally they were they were negative feedback loops they were stabilizing diminishing feedback loops because as we would create atmospheric warming with our greenhouse gases the existence of those ice caps reflecting such high amounts of solar incoming solar radiation so so you have incoming and outgoing solar radiation usually the outgoing is far less than the incoming because as i said a lot of things on the earth do absorb like if you have a low albedo surface it will be absorbing a lot more of that incoming solar radiation but because of the high albedo the high reflectivity of ice and snow those areas of earth were reflecting a lot of outgoing solar radiation solar heat i guess we'll say heat let's say heat when i say radiation i'm essentially saying heat waves okay so, so those would help reduce the amount of uh, warming on the Earth's surface that would occur because so much of the incoming solar radiation was being reflected. So that would help reduce the amount of warming that was occurring. Surfaces with high albedos are reducing the amount of warming on the Earth's surface, helping us. They're helping to stabilize. They're compensating for the amount of heat that we're trapping as a result of greenhouse gases, right? So we actually should, we need a lot more high albedo surfaces to help, but but don't get me started because <laughs> geoengineering techniques like spraying aerosols into the upper, uh, the stratosphere or whatever to reflect more solar radiation, that scares me. That's like some black mirror shit, but we can talk about that later. So 
what's happening now though is because we have emitted so many greenhouse gases at such a high explosive fucking exponential rate almost honestly the amount of warming in the atmosphere has caused a lot of melting to occur at the polar ice caps right a lot of it is melting because it's hot and it's trying to cool down the ocean however the more that heats up in the atmosphere the more we reduce the amount of high albedo surfaces in these snowy icy areas the less solar radiation is being reflected meaning the more and more incoming solar radiation is actually being used or absorbed to the earth and actually causing more warming right like again think of that amplifying feedback loop where the more ice melts the more the earth's surface is heating because of incoming solar radiation it's not being reflected out into the like out of the atmosphere anymore and that's going to cause more warming in the atmosphere which is going to cause more ice to melt and reduce that surface even more therefore allowing <laughs> you know what i'm saying the feedback loop you see the feedback loop happening again so that's one kind of feedback loop happening with the snow and ice in the arctic but another thing that's happening not only with the albedo effect the albedo effect and the reflectivity of incoming solar radiation versus outgoing solar radiation that is one aspect another aspect is relating to permafrost so i'm going to start reading specifically because they wrote it really well from the climate reality project for this one so the first thing is happening on land where permafrost that holds large amounts of both methane and carbon is thawing because of the climate crisis and they said the second on the ice and open ocean so similarly to how i said we need to be scrubbing and sequestering carbon and greenhouse gases from our atmosphere removing them things like ice things like trees plants things a lot of natural things store these things like they they store them naturally and so the permafrost had contained large amounts of the two greenhouse gases methane and carbon as the temperature increases and warms and more permafrost thaws more and more greenhouse gases of methane and carbon are released into the atmosphere causing an increased warming effect which would cause more permafrost to melt and more methane and carbon to be released again we see the feedback loop of how it is self-propelled now and <laughs> give me anxiety methane i'm going to continue methane is a very very powerful greenhouse gas so essentially just to say in the atmosphere compared to carbon dioxide co2 it's fairly short-lived only about 20 percent of the methane emitted today will still be here in the atmosphere after 20 years however when it first enters the atmosphere it's around 120 times more powerful than co2 at trapping heat and 86 times stronger over a 20 year period so essentially like it's it's not as long lived it won't be in the atmosphere as long co2 will remain in the atmosphere for a lot longer but the amount of heat that it can trap in the even in the shorter amount of time that it will exist in the atmosphere will cause methane to be 86 times stronger 
over a 20-year period than CO2 would be over a 20-year period. CO2 hangs around for much longer. As much as 15% of today's CO2 will still be in the atmosphere in 10,000 years. That makes me nauseous. Ooh, that makes me nauseous. Okay. Ooh, so they call Arctic methane and carbon the time bomb in the soil. The soil. Because the soil, get it? Because the soil is holding the methane, the permafrost in the soil is holding the methane and carbon. You know? Mm, I feel ill. I hope you're still listening and going through this with me. My little granola hose. My granola hose. Sheesh. So given that frozen Arctic soil holds an estimated 1,460 to 1,600 billion tons of trapped carbon. Almost twice the amount of greenhouse gases currently in the atmosphere. Scientists are deeply concerned about the unprecedented warming in the region and what it could mean for global efforts to halt rising temperatures. (sighs) Did you hear that? So the thing that's melting and releasing greenhouse gases, methane and carbon, holds the Arctic soil permafrost holds the permafrost is melting so that the soil can emit it. The soil is holding twice the amount of greenhouse gases that are currently in the atmosphere, dude. You know how fucked that is? <laughs> and then, um, yeah. They talk more a little bit about the Arctic Ocean ice cover in integral to regulating global land and sea temperatures. Mm. yeah they talk about the albedo by the way i don't think i said this it's spelled a-l-b-e-d-o okay arctic sea ice oh shit this past summer so this was written in 2022 they say this past summer arctic sea ice extent was statistically tied with 2007 and 2016 for the second lowest minimum on record 2012 had the lowest ice extent ever recorded. So apparently 2020 was tied for the second lowest minimum record that was broken in 2012. Meaning last summer there was the second least amount of fucking ice cover. Meaning, you know what that means, the least amount of solar radiation reflected by the second least solar amount of solar radiation reflected back outgoing oh oh uh so remember our friends the nao oh excuse me noaa they report since 1979 ice extent has shrunk by 40 percent and the loss is transforming alaska's climate accelerating coastal erosion reducing walrus and other marine mammal habitat changing the timing and location of blooms of the food webs microscopic plant life and lowering i'm I'm pretty sure they mean plankton by the way and lowering survival rates for young wally pollocks the nation's largest commercial fishery wally pollock fuck So this lack of sea ice also contributes to further global warming and climate change, resulting in even more ice loss. Remember those dominoes we talked about? 
This is because the absence of sea ice exposes that much, much darker ocean surface below, right? So I said the albedo effect varies depending on the surface and the darker surfaces like the ocean would absorb the most incoming solar heat radiation and the brightest like grass like you know what i'm saying like the little light grassy fields have a very high albedo um shit like that but like dark dark uh evergreen forests have a very low albedo deserts have a higher albedo sand and stuff like that right so they say uh, open water absorbs the sun's radiation rather than reflecting it back into space the way the ice does yikes so just how much solar radiation are we talking about here they say the open ocean reflects just six percent of incoming solar radiation back to space, absorbing the rest and warming the water and the surrounding atmosphere. Sea ice, however, reflects 50 to 70% of incoming solar radiation, solar energy. The less absorbed, ooh, less absorbed heat energy means a cooler surface and a climate system working the way it's meant to. That was a big difference, hey? So 6% of incoming radiation is reflected by the ocean versus the 70 to 80 percent being reflected on sea ice Woof. <laughs> who else is anxious <laughs> Fuck. so they say it's not just the arctic though climate feedback loops reach around the planet oh fuck In the Amazon, they say, we've already lost one-fifth of the rainforest to climate change and human-caused burning. Scientists warned that losing another fifth would trigger a phenomenon known as dieback, where the forest dries beyond human rescue, inviting more wildfires and releasing more carbon. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Elsewhere, ooh, (laughs) we're going to get into the wildfires here, okay? You ready? Elsewhere, hotter temperatures create perfect conditions for wildfires that release greenhouse gases and shrink the forests that absorb co2 from the atmosphere ultimately leading to even hotter temperatures and you guessed it even more wildfires so that is one way in which the greenhouse gases and the forest fires can feed back and amplify relating to the perfect conditions to burn because of the hot and dry right so as the forest itself dries up and um, becomes more vulnerable to wildfires and the hotter it's just it's like it feeds back more and more because the more that burns more the more forest that burns also creates more greenhouse gases essentially by the way that's the second part of it because remember we talked about how particles like dust and smoke act uh similarly to green like the greenhouse gas of water vapor or carbon or methane they all trap heat so (laughs) you can imagine the more we have forest fires the more 
particles are released into the atmosphere that continue to have a warming effect, causing rising temperatures that create the perfect conditions for wildfires that release even more greenhouse grasses and shrink the forest that absorbs CO2 from the atmosphere. So not only are we emitting more greenhouse gases because of the particles, it's also reducing our carbon sink. Like I said, wood, trees, plants, they they actually store carbon. They sequester carbon for us. They are natural carbon sinks. So now, what would have been a big luscious forest that was scrubbing CO2 out of our atmosphere and helping to reduce the warming, now, not only are we losing those carbon sinks, so we're going to have more CO2 in the atmosphere, we're also going to have higher rates of greenhouse gases, excuse me, higher rates of particles in the atmosphere that have the similar effect to greenhouse gases of trapping and absorbing heat and rising the temperature, right? And the dieback is the other part. So I guess there's three parts to that then. The dieback, where the forest dries beyond human rescue, making it pretty much just flint ready to be sparked, ready to be sparked alive. Then we're going to have the release of particles and smoke. And we're going to have the release of all the CO2 that used to be stored in those trees. And then no longer have any of those carbon sinks that would have previously helped scrub them. Or absorb or sequester CO2 out of the atmosphere. But as the list goes on, you get the picture. As one writer puts it, the worse it gets, the worse it gets. (laughs) Wow. Luckily, oh, see, you know what? The Climate Reality Project coming in clutch here. They're going to give you they're going to give you some what can I do? What can you do? They're going to jump into that, right? Right. But before we go back to that, I actually want to talk a little bit more about other kinds of feedback loops. So I'm going to jump quickly over to an article that was actually posted by NASA, so climate.nasa.gov. NASA science, Earth system sciences, uh, this doesn't say when it was posted, but it's titled The Study of Earth as an Integrated System, okay? And they say, Earth system science is the study of how scientific data stemming from various fields of research, such as atmosphere, oceans, land ice, and others, fit together to form the current picture of our planet as a whole, including its changing climate. So, climate scientists separate factors that affect climate change into three categories. Forcings, feedbacks, and tipping points. We've already talked about some of the forcings, right? Our emissions of greenhouse gases is a forcing. The solar uh, irradiance is a forcing, meaning the solar radiation uh, that heats our planet. That is also a forcing. Then we have the aerosols, the dusts, the smokes, and the soots, the airborne particles. Um, those are also a forcing. Okay, so those are the, th- the forcing, the drivers, the initial drivers of climate change. Solar irradiance, greenhouse gas emissions, and aerosols, dust, smoke, and soot, airborne particles, okay? That also have the warming effect. 
Now we have our climate feedback loops, which you already know can either amplify or diminish the effects. So they're going to break it down and they are going to give four, they give us four feedback types of feedback loops and they're going to give us three types of tipping points, climate tipping points, okay? And then we're going to jump back to the other article on what can you do because we got to got to throw some positive fucking proactive optimism in here somewhere. <laughs>, laughs nervously. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Okay. So, let's start with clouds. So, they reiterate that climate feedbacks are processes that can either amplify or diminish the effects of climate forcings. A feedback that increases an initial warming is called a positive feedback. A feedback that reduces an initial warming is a negative feedback. So, clouds. Clouds have an enormous impact on Earth's climate, reflecting about one-third of the total amount of sunlight that hits the Earth's atmosphere back into space. Even small changes in cloud amount, locations, and type could have large consequences. A warmer climate could cause more water to be held in the atmosphere, leading to an increase in cloudiness, an altering of the amount of sunlight that reaches the surface of the Earth, and less heat would get absorbed, which could slow the process of warming. Cool. Hmm. Very cool. Precipitation is another one. Global climate models show that precipitation will generally increase due to the increased amount of water held in the warmer atmosphere, but not in all regions. Some regions will dry out instead. Changes in precipitation patterns, such as increased water availability, may cause an increase in plant growth which in turn could potentially remove more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. That's good news. Hmm. Number three, greening of the forests. Natural processes, such as tree growth, remove about half of human carbon dioxide emissions from the atmosphere if atmosphere every year scientists are currently studying what is ooh sorry they're currently studying where the carbon dioxide goes the delicate balance between the absorption and release of co2 by the oceans and the world's greatest forested regions is the subject of research by many scientists there is some evidence that the availability of ooh oh man i thought this was going to be sorry I got excited because the first two were like a little bit more positive and then I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> there is some evidence that the ability of the oceans or forests to continue absorbing carbon dioxide may decline as the world warms, leading to a faster accumulation in the atmosphere. We already talked about that kind of. And then the fourth one they also touch on is ice albedo, which we already talked about. The ice albedo feedback is a very strong positive feedback because as the atmosphere warms and sea ice melts, the darker ocean absorbs more heat, causes more ice to melt, and makes the earth warmer overall. Now the climate tipping points. So when earth's climate abruptly moves between a relatively stable state to another stable state, but 
between them. Different, they're different. Number one is ocean circulation. So as the Arctic sea ice and the Greenland ice sheet melt, ocean circulation in the Atlantic may divert the Gulf Stream. This and or other changes would significantly change regional weather patterns. A change in the Gulf Stream could lead to a significant cooling in Western Europe. This highlights the importance of ocean circulation in maintaining regional climates. Oof. So essentially, if that's going to divert the Gulf Stream, which has a significant cooling effect for Western Europe, then... Oh gosh, then... Oh gosh. Well, you know, you can put that together. Oh, fuck. Number two, ice loss. Due to the strong positive feedback of ice albedo, if enough ice melts, causing Earth's surface to absorb more and more heat then we may hit a point of no return. Shrinking ice, we've already talked about this kind of too, but shrinking ice uh, sheets contribute to sea level rise. Many hundreds of billions, ooh, hundreds of millions of people live near a coast, so our ability to predict sea level rise over the next century has a substantial human and economic ramification. Oh. (sighs) Yeah, think about how many cities are like, like the Netherlands is below sea level already, first of all, and then so many other cities are already like at sea level. Number three, rapid release of methane. Deposits of frozen methane, a potential greenhouse gas, and carbon dioxide lie beneath permafrost in Arctic regions. About a quarter of the northern hemisphere is covered by permafrost. As the environment warms and the permafrost thaws, these deposits can be released into the atmosphere and prevent. Oh, excuse me, present a risk of enhanced warming. Okay, we already talked about that one too, but that tipping point is a big one. So let's go back. And we'll just quickly touch on what can you do? Because it can't all be bad, right? We gotta gotta throw in some hope. So this is back to the Climate Reality Project. The writing's on the wall. We need to accelerate the global shift from the dirty fossil fuels driving climate change to renewables so we can power our lives and economies without destroying our planet. It's our responsibility to do everything we can to prevent the worst of it. Mm. As explained above, it certainly could get worse. (laughs) Fuck. So, So are you ready to make a difference for the future of our planet? Let's go! Let's go, Renault! We gotta rally the troops on this one. So, uh, everyday activists supporting sustainable solutions in their communities are making the difference in the fight against climate change. With the federal level climate action stalled in the U.S., our our movement is working hard to affect change at a local level. That's why we invite you to learn about our Climate Reality Leadership Corps. So this uh, climaterealityproject.org, if you go there, I guess they are training people. (laughs) They're training people uh, just like you to become world changers. You'll spend three days learning from former vice president. Okay, this is just them plugging themselves, but I guess they they can help you. Oh, (laughs) nice. (laughs) That was the only one they provided. That's all you can do, apparently. (laughs) My voice cracked over that. That's all you can do. They're not giving us any other solutions other than pay them money, bitch. They'll train you. They'll train you real good. All right. So listen. I told you we were going to reminisce on some fucking good times in nature. 
And you know, this podcast is called Granola Ho, and you know, I can't hold back on talking about my most granola experiences, because as I've mentioned, I believe in episode two, uh, I told you about how (laughs) the first time my family took me on a week-long kayak camping trip where you literally pack everything you need and you know you go kayak from beach to beach or island to island out in the middle of nowhere on the coast of bc when i was six months old (laughs) which is wild but also very thankful for the experiences because we did them every summer pretty much growing up and it was a blessing another thing that i was uh very excited that i got to do with my family was multi-day hikes so I believe I did the west coast trail for those of you who aren't Canadian or from British Columbia essentially it's like a five to six day hike along the southern coast of Vancouver Island so if you are familiar with Tofino which is kind of like a world-renowned surf spot destination on the island on the west coast of the island, essentially from near Tofino down around towards Victoria, um, from, you know, like the western side, central part of Vancouver Island more to to the southern tip. I don't know if I'm explaining that well. It not, it's really not that relevant. It's not anything like the Pacific Crest Trail or whatever the fuck, like the one that goes from the border of Mexico to Canada. My uncle fucking did that shit, though. He just trucked along for months, months, and this uncle, Uncle Al, we love Uncle Al, he's, he's a good one. Uncle Al is a wild woodsman, and he joined us on the West Coast Trail, so it ended up being myself, my uncle, and my dad, and when I was, I guess, the summer going from grade 11 to grade 12, it was, so that would have been 2014 for me, we did the west coast trail and it was so exciting to plan it um it wasn't the first big multi-day hike we'd done uh we were seasoned hikers at this point so you know we packed up our bags we knew how much weight each of us could carry we knew how much food we could pack we'd gotten really good at packing good hiking meals and freeze-dried shit um all that we were ready We had our gaiters (laughs) to keep our feet dry. We had our ponchos in case it was pouring the whole time. Because if you know anything about the temperate rainforest of (laughs) the west coast of Canada, it's that it rains often. (laughs) A lot. It rains a lot. And I love it. I love the rain. I love the rain. I know so many people who hate it, but I actually personally hate the heat and the sun a little bit. No, I like the sun, but you know, it like burns a little bit. Because a bitch is still pasty at the end of the day. (laughs) And we planned to do it in five nights, six days. Obviously, you could do this hike at any pace. You could take three days to do it if you wanted to really chunk out big days of hiking. I know that I know some endurance runners who have literally run the entire West Coast Trail in a like a day, but those are exceptional athletes, and that is a very long day. A very long day because let's see let's see how far is it west coast trail but yeah dude like we were we were hiking along I remember and there was just this one dude running and I was like bro 
you're about to get cut off by the rising high tide like you gotta run faster like you know what I'm saying because you have to go around headlands a lot on this trail because for the most part it's a coastal trail right like you go up around headlands and there's a little bit of elevation gain and loss but for the most part it's um it's pretty chill right and we wanted to take our time with it because it's for the experience we weren't we weren't trying to crush out a a really long run so the west coast trail is 75 kilometers or 47 miles um along the southwestern edge of vancouver island and it's a it's a really popular one right and it it has a lot of foot traffic on it (laughs) and we knew we were like we have to do this hike now before the soil erosion is too bad because we'd heard these trails are nasty in the sense that when you go inland, it's just shit tons of mud and exposed roots because of all the high foot traffic, right? And because it's such a popular trail, you have to actually book in advance a reservation so that they limit the number of people hiking on the trail at a given time, which I really appreciated because I personally hate a lot of people being around me. And, you know, like, I don't I don't want to try and post up for camp somewhere at night and there's like 20 other people around me like I didn't come to the fucking west coast trail to get away from everything to only just like see everyone you know so I'm like oh thank god they regulate that but more than just for my antisocial ass they do that to try and minimize the uh erosion to the trails but I uh, honestly like I said the reason I'm kind of reminiscing on on some of these things especially after i'm sorry the shitty topic of climate crises is just you know because one example of changing environments is the soil erosion on the trails right like the trail conditions are changing this hike probably would be i don't know they might close the trail in the future right if it gets bad enough to try and give this the i don't know the trail a chance to kind of like recover naturally i guess you know give it a break from us from us humans who knows who knows maybe you know I, I was about to go down a rabbit hole of possible worst case scenarios of what's gonna happen and i was like let's not do that Lindsay. chill the fuck out no but so i really wanted to tell the story particularly because <laughs> i don't know why the shit that kept happening on this hike I, was, I sat back and thought, am I, is this a movie? Or am I in a movie? Where are the cameras? And you know, thankfully, thankfully, myself, my uncle and my dad made it out just fine. Like, no injuries or anything. Like, we didn't lose any food or anything, you know. Mm, didn't have unwanted run-ins with any wild animals. We were chilling, <laughs> but I can't say the same for another group of people that happened to begin their hike on the same day as us. <laughs> this is this story. I don't know. It, I shouldn't find it this funny. It's terrible, honestly. Like, I feel bad for these people, but also, what are the chances? Okay, so are you ready? So. So we start out the first night, you know, you can camp at the trailhead um, before you start hiking the trail. And so that's, you know, 
you have to check in at the office and make sure your reservation's all good and then you can take off, right? And the amount of kilometers you choose to do in a day could be different from another group, right? Maybe you're, you're going to do more kilometers one day and then have a chill day the next day, whereas they may do vice versa. So you could be leapfrogging with people along the trail, you know what I'm saying? Like, just because you maybe started at the same day or time doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to be walking together, right? So, so these people had started ahead of us and we had caught up to them by nightfall and were camping in the same um, spot. And this group of people had two fathers and two sons so I was 17 at the time right I reckon these guys were probably like yeah like 15 16 as well like around the same age but a little bit younger I think and yeah it was like they're friends right it was so cute I was like oh look at that like the dads and the sons like out for a hike cute nice and then there was also some uh some lady with them I, I don't know what the relation was I don't know whose whose moms was that. I don't know what the whether there was a polyamorous situation going on. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not nosy. I minded my business. And luckily for me, my father and uncle are equally as antisocial as me. And so we obviously pitched our tents like quite a ways away from them. We didn't really we weren't we weren't going to have too many social interactions with them. Okay, like, I'm telling you, I fucking love hiking with my dad and my uncle because we're all mutes <laughs> when we want to. Like, we could just hike for hours spaced out. Like, no one's talking. This shit is some silent meditation retreat shit, okay? And un- unspoken. Like, you, you wouldn't catch my dad being like, ah, I'm partaking in a silent meditation retreat, like nature therapy. therapy. No, like, this military dude's like, we're rocking. <laughs> or get your rucksack on. Like, he'd literally be like, you got your rucksack ready? And I was like, dad, you, you're not in the military anymore. It's okay, you're, like, chill. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? Um, but yeah, no, that's another thing. He, like, always was, like, teaching me his fucking military shit, like, survival army shit. And, uh... the sayings he would say like when it was time to pack up camp he'd be like pulp in smoke go and i was like what the fuck are you trying to say and he's like oh uh, it's just what we would have to do and be ready to like pull the pin in the tent and make sure the tent could fall down and blow smoke somewhere everywhere so the enemy is confused and then you make your break for it and and he's like that's how you get your tent out and you get out of camp at night when you're being attacked or something and i was like nice i'm definitely gonna need to know this knowledge in my life here thank you yeah no this is super helpful i definitely needed to know what that meant okay (laughs) so here we are right like all of us just trying to have our silent fucking nature retreat slogging it for six days so we camp a little bit of ways away right but then we start noticing one lady that lady is lying on the ground on the beach and there are people the people are gathering around her right and she she looks kind of ill you know like dusky you know dusky like when you're like kind of dying a little bit and your flesh starts (laughs) to look a little off colored yeah so we were kind of like, hmm. but of course, none of us really wanted to go over there. We were, so we were just like, hmm. and my dad breaks out the binoculars. <laughs> my dad and my uncle have the binoculars out. We're like trying to spy. We're like, is she good? Is she dying? Like, do we need to go over there? Like, we were like, we really don't want to have to have social interaction if we don't have to. So let's confirm whether this is a medical emergency prior to approaching. <laughs> 
And then this bitch looked like she was ill, like really ill, right? So we were like, okay, fuck, we need to go find out. Like, So we go over and we ask, like, what's up, right? How you doing? <laughs> you gonna survive? What's going on? Where did the, you know what I'm saying? Then they tell us what's been going on. Because we were late to the party, apparently. Like, this had already been going on before we'd arrived. And the kids had, like, two, the two boys had taken off again. But the people that were still there filled us in on what had been going on. So so apparently, this fucking chick starts getting appendicitis, right? And there's maps on the West Coast Trail that show all the facilities on along the trail, such as uh, stations where there would be parks workers, places where there are bear caches that and outhouses, uh, you know, like designated spots to camp, places with fresh water access and rivers and streams where you can pump fresh water and stock up and all that right and so apparently the fucking two boys earlier in the day because this had all they'd been there apparently already for like a day and this had already been going down right so these kids ran like four kilometers down the trail to try and find help at this station where there were supposed to be parks workers on the map like they they marked it on the map they apparently get there there was nobody at the station so no one there to radio the place was like they couldn't radio for help so they had to run all the way fucking back to the campsite where where the person was fucking starting to die because you know if that appendix bursts like you're not hiking anywhere because if that appendix bursts you could die so you know like now you just have to lay there and wait (laughs) then they have to run all the way back to the beginning of the trailhead um to get help and that's like probably another like 14 kilometers right so they fucking run all the way back to get help run all the way back to the campsite to be with their family and friends and now like and then you know what i'm saying like we showed up pretty much after all this had been going down and then i guess like two guys had already they dipped out again to try and make sure that the help was coming because they'd been waiting for so long right and uh and so they're filling us in right and we're like holy shit so you've just been laying here for like all like all day just having appendicitis with no pain meds none of us had radios none of us had sat phones i was like she like is this this person might actually fucking kick the can right now because i don't really there no i don't see any boats on the horizon we don't see anyone coming you know by time by time it was nightfall and we were like me my uncle and my dad were sitting around the campfire like eating our dinner finally we see a helicopter come in, right? And she's about to get medevaced. And we're like, oh, nice. Like, sweet. This person is going to live. Cool, cool, cool. Nice. Like, we we were worried for a sec, but cool. The adventure can continue without without any hesitations, right? So that lady goes, you know, the, da- the one dad and the other kid go with her. And now it was just the one other dad and his son that remained. Like the two other guys, they were like, okay, we're going to keep doing this though because it's like they're, they're the ones that got fucked up. Like we, we can still hike this, right? So we were like, oh, wow, good for you guys. Like, nice. We were thinking it, of course. We didn't say it to them because we, <laughs> we didn't really want to talk to them that much. But we were like, nice. Like, those two are going to keep hiking. Cool. Like, we'll see you along the way. Again, saying it in our heads. Not, not really to them, actually. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like, good. Like, hopefully that bitch got to a hospital in time. And I hope her kid who had to run all over <laughs> Tarnation, running all over Tarnation, trying to get help isn't traumatized for life i was like ah that poor kid right like this was supposed to be such a good experience and now he's just panicked and traumatized probably 
So we, you know, we carry on, we carry on, we hike, we hike, we camp, we eat, lots of snacks along the way. Snacks are the only thing that get me through, particularly like a sour candy and some gorp. You know, you know, I've told you about gorp before, them good old raisins and peanuts. Throw some Smarties and M&Ms in there, it's game over. That, that, that shit's better than crack when you're out in nature, maybe not in the city. But everything tastes better when you're outside, you know? Like, you could feed me the shittiest fucking meal by the third day of the hike, and I would be like, this is five out of five out of five stars, gourmet. You could start a restaurant. (laughs) Meanwhile, it's just like some nasty fucking freeze-dried shit with way too much sodium in it. But it's still so, it's so good when you're out there. Like, I'm telling you, nothing nothing beats the satisfaction of eating mediocre food in wilderness after you've already been out of civilization for multiple days like nah and hiking every day or like kayaking every day or doing exerting physical energy every single day all day because you're just chunking along for like eight hours a day right like you're just chunking all along you stop for snacks you stop for lunch you're just chunking along like dude that's my life motto i'm just chunking along through life right we keep going and we're leapfrogging again with this dad and son right and then you come to a point on the trail maybe on like the fourth day where you um i'm sorry man like i can't remember which nation it is but you essentially um have to cross a river on first nations territory and they shuttle you across in a boat and you know we obviously pay for the service and that's an awesome way to stimulate their like local economy and they also have a burger shack and a fish shack there like the it's a renowned spot because again like i said you've been eating mediocre food that's been tasting so good and then on the fourth day or whatever you reach this place where there's an actual institution selling proper food like you can get so much seafood or a fat burger like they're expensive as shit and you have to bring cash and stuff of course but so good right so we were so excited for this we were like nice Kayla we're gonna hop in this boat they're gonna shuttle us across we're gonna have a fat lunch and it's gonna taste godly like out of this world like when you when I tell you (laughs) you've been hiking in the wilderness for four days straight at this point and you get presented a burger in the middle of your hike that is the biggest blessing of all if you ask me that's it's the little things in life but here's the kicker so you know we're we're standing there at the dock waiting like literally loading the boat with our backpacks waiting like a minute to finish packing up to push off and cross the river we were about to go okay this timing is impeccable we're about to all get in the boat and we hear someone fucking yelling and i turn around and this fucking kid the same one who's already been running around because someone got appendicitis is he this kid is flying down the trail towards us flying like you just see him like poke out between the trees like a flash of fucking he like he's like the fucking flash you know he is the flash in this moment he became flash you know like the show you know this man was fucking this kid was running and screaming 
wait, wait, like help, wait, help. And I was like, my stomach sunk. And we were like, oh, fuck. And we were also like, where's the backpack on this kid? Where's the kid's father? There's some things missing here. Why is he running, screaming for help? Oh, shit. This kid comes running up. He says, help. My dad fell got his foot caught in one of those exposed roots because like i'm telling you they are slippery and exposed as shit like they're traps like everyone almost falls at least once like you get stuck in mud pits there's like slippery ass fucking mangled bundles of roots that you have to walk over and not slip on like we all even despite i was like the fittest i've ever been in my life because i was on a cross-country skiing race team at the time training like six days a week multiple hours you know what i'm saying like i was hella fit at that point in my life and i still used walking poles everyone has to use walking poles because of the hazard of falling and walking like you just simply need the extra points of contact to stabilize yourself when you're on slippery things or trying to get around mud puddles or some shit right like we all used them and and mine my, my dad fell and like fell so hard and his pole caught him because his foot got, his boot got stuck in the mud, it bent his pole, and he got so, and he was, like, yelling and screaming, because, you know, he has anger issues, and it was, I had, I accidentally laughed, and it didn't help the situation, but I was, like, hey, like, the pole came in clutch, though, like, it worked, (laughs) nice, like, what do you, be, be grateful, it did its job, anyway, this kid comes running up, he says, my dad's foot got caught in one of those roots and he fell and it's a compound fracture, his bone is sticking out of his leg, and he's a couple kilometers back on the trail. I told he told me to wait, or he that he would wait there and I would run ahead to get help. Bearing in mind this child, I say child because I'm like this poor kid, right? Like I just I'm empathizing, but realistically we were nearly the same age. We were both teenagers. But this poor kid, you know what I'm saying? Like he had already run around in a state of adrenaline rush, like fight or flight. Like this kid has been in fight or flight mode way too many times in the past. Like on what was supposed to be a relaxing, rejuvenating hike. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this kid's traumatized and he's running, crying, like running, crying, screaming for help. And we were like, oh, fuck. So we we were like, okay, come on, get on the boat. And uh, our boat driver was like, we have a radio um, when we get to the other side. Like, don't worry, we got you. Like, we'll, we'll radio for a medevac. <laughs> medevac round two. <laughs> Fuck. So we, but you know what? No, now the kid though, we, had, we sat in the boat and it wasn't a fast boat. Like it was like a little skiff, right? With a small engine. It was not a motor, excuse me. It wasn't going fast. So now this kid had to just sit there in the boat beside the rest of us crying panicked about his fucking dad with a bone sticking out of his leg just chilling (laughs) just chilling on the trail in the mud and he has to just wait patiently as we like like that's what i'm talking about this shit is like a movie to me because now i just picture i in my head was sitting there and there was awkward elevator music playing in my head because it was just such an unfortunate amount of time that we had to sit there well, he, he was like, he's like, I can't, you know what I'm saying? When you can't do anything and you have to just sit there and wait, but you're so en- like engulfed with panic and anxiety, but also like you're going, you're moving really, really slowly. So like, what the fuck are you going to do? And it's, 
you know what i'm saying like you're just like like i was like sitting there like i wish i could console this man but i know that he like i don't know him like that like i almost i just wanted to like hug him i felt so bad i'm a very empathetic person i was heartbroken for him i was like this is stressful i'm so sorry man we get across right and the most (laughs) disrespectful part of it all was as he like even after they radioed for another medevac and for help and all that right like this kid was still just sitting there like crying and so upset and so scared and feeling so alone and all the rest of the people that were still at this burger and fish shack had just the audacity to go about our day like we all just like we're like well guess we'll just order our food and eat it now you know like we were all sitting around mowing down like talking about how good the fucking food was while this kid just cried in the corner <laughs> i like i was like I, I i should at least go check on him and i like went and sat beside him i was like hey you good and he was like yeah and i was like well we both we both know he was lying but i was like well we fulfilled the social contract you know what i'm saying like i showed in canada there's a niceness <laughs> toxic niceness culture do you know what i'm saying like i was like it's like a handshake like you just have to it's just a formality you just spew the words and you're like relieved of the duty you know i was like are you good like are you okay do you want to talk about it he's like yeah i'm good and then i'm like you know what he's not good but i'm like cool and then i go back to my burger you know (laughs) the disrespect and i remember oh yeah and then we were like well i guess we're gonna keep we also were like hey bye kid we're gonna keep hiking now and we just like left him there like waiting at the burger shack for the medevac and i felt really bad i was not down for that i was like shouldn't we wait with him but you already know that my dad and uncle don't give a fuck either and so they're like nah he's fine we'll keep going it's fine <laughs> i was like these two teenage boys are never going outside again like never going outside again they're never going hiking again they're never going to the beach again they're never they're never setting foot in a forest again can you what are the odds that two of the adults in a group of people hiking both had to get medevaced thank god we live in canada and we don't have to pay for that as much do we or do you still i actually don't know i'm assuming you don't but you probably do Sometimes I just think about if I live in the United if I lived in the United States of America where they even charge you if you're having a medical emergency and they pick you up in an ambulance they will you best believe you're paying at least a couple thousand dollars for that shit even if you don't even get treated even if they just like come attend to you to make sure you're still pulsing you, your heart you know what I'm saying your heart still beating you still have a pulse that'll be $1500 please sir fuck let me die let just let me die honestly let me die I <laughs> If I lived in the U.S. and I like, like, let's say I was like a fucking like in Boulder, Colorado, because I feel like that is the equivalent to British Columbia or like the West Coast of Canada. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the outdoorsy granola culture, like it's there. I see you. But what do you do? Bitch, if I'm out in the middle of the boonies hiking or some shit and I fall and I have a severe injury... Please don't call for a medevac because I am not finna pay $500,000 to have a helicopter come pick my depressed ass up. Like, do you, I've been depressed since I was eight years old. Like, this, I'm like, finally. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, f- leave me 
to die finally <laughs> ah, i'm just kidding I, am i i don't i'm for legal reasons that's a joke <laughs> fuck that i love you i appreciate you thank you my granola hoes for tuning in to another week of non-toxic granola ho I'm your host, Linz, and I will see you or talk to you next week. Bye.